Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So I had that kind of musical background, but when I was in junior high school, I I really put music aside and, you know, uh, focused on uh, writing. That's what I ended up going to college for, was for writing. And then I moved to New York City uh, right after college when I was 21 and uh, figured that I would go there to, you know, become a writer. But at a certain point, I realized that I didn't feel like I had anything to say. I was really kind of floundering around. And I had um, a lot of musicians in my orbit and I started singing in a band. And at that time I was, you know, not the greatest singer cause I was pretty insecure. And, um, and then uh, one day the, the drummer in the band I was singing for left and, uh, or didn't show up. And I sat down at the drums and, my boyfriend at the time was a recording engineer and he said, oh, here, I show you a couple things. And then he, I, he said, oh, actually, you, you know, you picked it up pretty quick, you know, and he set up some little drums in the house and I started learning. And then I started taking uh, lessons for real about six months later. And the thing about the drums that grabbed me is I just, I feel like it's my instrument. You know, I feel like everybody has an instrument out there that speaks to them. And most people say, oh, I'm not musical, but my belief is they've just never found their instrument. Yeah. And. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Uh, joining me tonight is a musician and a guest who has a very interesting musical journey. Uh, Clem, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that uh, this worked out. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. Uh, well, let's see. Since this is a music podcast, I'll focus on the music aspect of it. Uh, I, so I'm a, a drummer, hard rock drummer, and uh, I've been playing drums in a Led Zeppelin band for the last 18 years called Zepparella. And, um, I've just written a book about called Bonham to Buddha and back about um, about my life as a rock and roll drummer and the way that some of my uh, meditation practice kind of informs my life as a musician as uh, as I kind of run around and and hit hit things very, very hard. (laughs) Well. We're going to get to the book. We're going to get to the drumming. Uh, we're going to get through your journey, but I always like to start at the beginning. So tell me, where did you grow up and what kind of music did you listen to, uh, you know, as a child? What was your family listening to? Yeah. So uh, I grew up in Southern California in Orange County and um, music was all around me, not uh, musicians, but listening to music. So um, my grandmother, my mother's mother, um, had sung with big bands uh, when she was younger. And uh, so we listened to a lot of big band music, Lawrence Welk, all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, my mom is somebody who knows 
like every word to all of the old standards. Um, and then my father was the ultimate rock and roll lover. Um, you know, the, the stones were his main band. Uh, they always went to see the stones when the stones were in town. Um, and that was actually my first concert was the stones. Um, but then he just loved the Beatles, the band, um, and, uh, like Skinnerd, a lot of Southern rock, a lot. He was really loved the blues, you know, the blues rockers a lot. So that was the soundtrack of my life when I was growing up. Yeah. Did you embrace that music? Did you, did you go through a period as a teenager where we were rebelling? Talk to me a little bit about that. I always think that's a interesting tradition. I, I grew up in a family that, you know, and it's an old joke, but it's still funny. We listen to both kinds, country and Western. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, so I did not listen to uh, pop radio until my, I got my own, you know, clock radio for my room. And then I got to listen to, you know, the AM rock station, but we grew up listening to country. So how about you? Did you embrace that music? Did you kind of rebel? Talk to me a little about that. Well, I didn't, um, I didn't really rebel against that music, I think ever, right? Um, I've, I will always love, um, you know, the, the, what we call classic rock now, but which is rock, right? It's because, um, you know, it's, I remember being three years old and dancing to a Credence Clearwater Revival record. You know, I remember sitting and looking at Elton John's album, like just looking at the cover, you know, Captain Fantastic, looking at that for hours and listening to the records over and over. Um, you know, there are songs from, from those artists that I know every single word because I listened to them, you know, a hundred times or something. Um, that when I started to split off in my musical taste, uh, there were two things that really, to me, are the focal point of that. One of them is seeing the B-52s on Saturday Night Live play Rock Lobster. And I remember nobody else in the house was awake and I was in the living room and I had the sound really turned down and I saw that and it just blew my mind. I thought, oh my gosh, there's something else out there there's some other world of music and stuff out there that um i really want to know more about um and then the second thing was hearing the clash um when i heard the clash rock the casbah that just sounded so different to me you know i felt like wow something something really different is happening um so I had friends who were really into punk rock at the time, but I just didn't have access to that. Um, so, um, and, you know, uh, music at that point, you know, I was like you listening to my, my clock radio, my favorite radio station in Los Angeles. So, um, yeah. So I didn't, I don't know that I ever really rebelled against my father's musical uh, taste. I think that he... I think he gave me a good foundation, certainly for what I need I do now. But I will say that Led Zeppelin was a little too hard for him. So that was kind of where we split as well. When I started listening to Led Zeppelin, it was like that was my first music that was mine, you know. So uh, I've got a two-part question. So we'll start with, can you remember when you found Led Zeppelin? And what about it spoke to you? And then I'll come back to my second half. Yeah. I don't remember when, the first time I heard Led Zeppelin. Um, it probably was Stairway to Heaven, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, it just seemed so, um, it seems so emotional, that music. You know, I remember listening to the rain song and some of the ballads um, down by the seaside, some of those things. And, you know, as a 14, 15 year old girl, like kind of experimenting with love and romance, you know, that really spoke to me. 
Um, and then when I started playing drum, I didn't start playing drums till I was in my late twenties. And when that happened, I real I looked back and I listened to Led Zeppelin again, and I realized, oh, what I was loving was the power and the drumming, you know. But when I first heard it, you know, at 14, 13, 14 years old, I didn't put that together. Yeah, it was more about the romance of it. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, so that's, thank you for the perfect segue. Did, I was going to say, did you, did you start with the drums? Were you, did you take other type of music lessons? And if not, why, what about the drums spoke to you? Why did you decide you needed to be the backbone of the band? (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, well, let's see. So I, I played the piano when I was a kid, but you know, I, I played it the way most kids do, or it was like a chore. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, tried different instruments, tried the guitar for a summer and played the flute in band in elementary school. And so I had some, and always sang, you know, in choir. So I had that kind of musical background, but when I was in junior high school, I, I really put music aside and 
you know, uh, focused on uh, writing. That's what I ended up going to college for was for writing. And then I moved to New York City uh, right after college when I was 21 and uh, figured that I would go there to, you know, become a writer. But at a certain point, I realized that I didn't feel like I had anything to say. I was really kind of floundering around. And I had um, a lot of musicians in my orbit and I started singing in a band. And at that time I was, you know, not the greatest singer cause I was pretty insecure. And, um, and then uh, one day the, the drummer in the band I was singing for left and, uh, or didn't show up. And I sat down at the drums and my boyfriend at the time was a recording engineer. And he said, here, I show you a couple things. And, and he, I, he said, oh, actually, you, you know, you picked it up pretty quick, you know, and he set up some little drums in the house and I started learning. And then I started taking uh, lessons for real about six months later. And the thing about the drums that grabbed me is I just, I feel like it's my instrument. You know, I feel like everybody has an instrument out there that speaks to them. And most people say, oh, I'm not musical, but I, my belief is they've just never found their instrument. Yeah. And drums are definitely my instrument. When I started playing them, it was what I wanted to do. When I came home, it was like, I want to sit down at those drums. You know, I want to do that. And then when I started playing shows, I said to myself, I want to do this every single night. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my path. I'm going to go back to when you were a youngster. Mm -hmm. um, were you a big reader? Oh, yeah. What kind of books? What what did you love to read? I read everything I could get my hands on. Yeah. Um, I was telling uh, my husband the other day that because I was just in it, we just played in Atlanta. And I, I really love that city. And um, and I told him, you know, when I was eight years old, I went into the school library and I thought to myself, I want to get the thickest book I can get, you know, to read. And it was Gone with the Wind. <laughs> I read that book like three times and I was so proud of myself for reading this this book and uh, when I go to Atlanta like it's talking about all of the streets that were in there so I just uh, I don't know it was just kind of that's kind of a non sequitur but um, yeah it didn't matter I just tried to get through the library basically um, but uh, I really really in like my early teens I really loved you know the beat poets like Lawrence Ferlinghetti meant a lot to me um, and Jack Kerouac on the road. And then I, I loved Hunter S. Thompson, that kind of, you know, gonzo journalism stuff. I really loved reading about, like reading those collections that he was in. Um, and then, um, you know, J.D. Salinger was big for me and, um, you know, stuff that I look back now and I realize that I liked things with a bit of a an existential or spiritual bent a lot. Got really into Dostoevsky when I was, you know, 15. Tried to read all the Russian stuff. So I don't know. It kind of just all over the place. When did you start writing? I don't remember not writing. Yeah. I mean, I just always been, I always just thought not, I'm just gonna, that's just what I do. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody else can go do sports and go do all that stuff, but I, that's just what I do. I sit and write, you know, yeah. yeah, I I have a good friend Tom um, who talked about that. That he is an artist and he he writes and does stories. And he says he from the moment he picked up a crayon, he knew that's what he wanted to do. Just mm. all his life. Mm. And and um, you know, and I I've interviewed a lot of people, and you know, some people they have to find like some people are like yourself. No, I always knew, and others went no. It's later in life kind of like you with the drums. Yeah. Um, so it, I won't, don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounded like when you got behind that drum kit, it felt like you had come home. Like, it, oh, this is what I've been missing. It is, it was like coming home in a sense because it felt, um, in a way it felt effortless, you know, like, I, I mean, I was learning and I was, you know, um, but I felt like any, but anytime somebody told me how to do it, I could do it, you know? And, um, and the funny thing about, you know, coming home, uh, to the drums is that, um, 
I've really realized this later in life after I've been playing for 30 years that um, that every aspect of my life, the, you know, I'm a spiritual counselor as well and, in, um, and I've studied, you know, Buddhist and Hindu, you know, traditions for a real long time. And, um, and I realized that drumming is the first language. Drumming is, was the first instrument. I mean, it's almost a hundred thousand years humans have been using a drum both as communication with themselves and also communication with um, the bigger stuff. You know, we can, if we play a frame drum, a repetitive sound on a frame drum, it will uh, kind of bounce us into that altered state that we find in, in meditation or in uh, daydreaming or um, it kind of quiets the mind and allows us to fall underneath the, the, the noise, right? Is just listening to a drum. Um, and so, you know, for me, I, I'm a rock and roll drummer through and through, but I also have a deep respect for the drum, you know, and, and what it means to humanity. Um, and the fact that I can speak and express myself just by you know, this, in this physical act, it, it feels really, um, I don't know, it feels bigger than me almost. Yeah. Well, cause in a lot of ways, right. The, the, our heartbeat, our pulse, that, that rhythm of breathing, right there in that rhythm. And in, in, I think you're exactly correct, right. That this is that um, you know, a drum is the original. You can see someone picking up a stick and hitting and, you know, and then making, whether you said where it's communication or trying to, um, you know, try to express themselves. Um, you talked about you're picking up the drums. You're, you'd already been singing a little bit. How did you end up getting into a Led Zeppelin you know, tribute slash cover band. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, my music career, as most musicians, you know, started in a couple of different projects. And then I ended up in a project that uh, was a, a three-piece uh, stoner rock band um, uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, uh, excuse me, that band um, toured a lot and um a lot a lot for a couple of years and i'm in the meantime i had moved to san francisco and uh we actually had a few months off from touring and um we had decided we weren't going to tour as rapidly as we had been and i thought well i want to get into another band you know i want to learn how to play something else so i got in an acdc band um and that was a really fun, wonderful thing. And, I, and, you know, because I started playing drums at 27 and kind of a, a year and a half later was in bands, I never really went through that thing that musicians go through when they're 12, 13, 14, where they're in a, in a uh, you know, in a room with their buddies jamming out cover songs, right? I mean, that's kind of what everybody does. And I never did that. So this was my version of it was joining this ACDC band. And I had to learn how to learn a song, like really learn a song exactly, not just play along. Mm -hmm. uh, so that band taught me a lot about that. And the guitarist Gretchen men uh, in that band and I became friends and we were talking one time about wanting to play more often um, than that band was playing. And I told her that a few years before I had asked my, the stoner rock band, if they would want to play a bunch of Zeppelin and they kind of decided not to. And I had, but I had made this big chart, this list of songs I thought were, you know, I would be able to do and would be good to do. And uh, she said, Oh, I want to do that too. So uh, that's when Zeppelin started in 2004. Yeah. So that, <laughs> So I, I I get the gem of that now, and, and so you're doing this. What what were your next steps? Did you guys just okay? Let's get the group together and then let's figure out what we're gonna do. Yeah, well, uh, so the first thing we did was I, um, you know, I uh, 
told my bass player in the metal band, like, okay, you have to be, play John Paul Jones. Like we have to play together. And, uh, and we went through a couple of, uh, singer, we went through a couple of singers before, uh, we had, uh, Anna Christina, our singer, who's, uh, the singer now. And then we just started playing, you know, playing a bunch of shows and playing Led Zeppelin. And I have to say, like, not playing Led Zeppelin very well at the beginning for me. I mean, Gretchen is always, you know, uh, you know, wonderful. And everybody was doing a great job. But, you know, it, it takes a long time to kind of really get inside of something that is so nuanced. You right. know, you talk about how. John Bonham is maybe the greatest rock drummer. Um, and for me, it's because of all of the subtleties within his drumming um, that really translates into this, this emotional feeling that you get from his playing. And you don't just do that overnight. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it I feel like it took us a little time to really kick, you know, to really make it happen. And, you know, maybe in 10 years we'll have found even more of it. So a lifetime uh, of learning <laughs> um art is never finished it's only abandoned is what i've been told <laughs> before right so um how often do y'all gig and where do you uh, how how much do you tour yeah we tend to at this point we're kind of we tend to play about six shows a month um that's um six to eight usually it's around six we try to do two three-day weekends a month um mm -hmm. We have toured in the past. We have done that, but everybody's super busy um, at the moment. And uh, we fly all over, you know, all over the United States and Canada. Um, uh, it's been fun lately. We've been getting to some places we haven't been, you know, in quite a while, like uh, Nashville. We'll be in uh, Nashville at the beginning of June and um, and Indiana, places, Chicago, places we haven't been in a little while. So. Yeah, that's fun. So is this full time for anyone in the band or is this your your full time part time job? Yeah, it's everybody's full time. You know, it's their everybody's okay. main, you know, a main source of income. Okay. Um, I don't want to speak for everybody, but it's yeah, a main sure. source of income. Yeah. 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 Um so what did you in in once again I my buddy Tom I was just talking about that wanted to do I was I was at a show with him last weekend. Right. And um it was um it was free comic book day. Uh-huh. And so, you know, there were kids coming to this comic shop and he was doing sketches for them. And um and three or four of them said, you know, they wanted to be an artist, and their parents would say, that's all. They do. That's all she does. That's all he does. He just draws, draws, draws. Uh -huh. And I, I've been telling this story a lot, but I just, I, I love this idea. And so, you know, Tom's drawing for them and he says, so he says a couple things. One, he said, I know you want to take art class, but you should take a speech class and an accounting class. Mm because you're going to have to sell yourself when you're an artist you're going to have to communicate and listen to the person of what they want drawn and if you have a project you're going to need to sell it to them he says you need accounting because if you're going to do a kickstarter sooner or later you're going to have to know what to do and everything but the thing i love the most he says and for an hour a day draw what you don't like to draw mm. He said, it's easy to draw what you like. And he says, and I'll give you an example. I didn't like drawing horses. And then I got hired to draw my little pony. <laughs> and then he pointed and there was a whole rack of books uh -huh. that he had either drawn or written of the wow. My Little Pony franchise. Uh -huh. So what did you <laughs> have to practice that you did not like practicing on? <laughs> Uh, that's a great story. Um, at least his, the parents, at least the parents are saying, go ahead and do it. You know, I think right. that's a little different than, um, I mean, my parents were very uh, generous with, you know, 
mm-hmm. with that aspect, but I know a lot aren't. Um, well, I tell you, being a musician teaches you how to pretty much do everything because unless you're a musician who at 19 years old, you know, gets, you know, swept into, you know, fame world and, and doesn't know how to set up their drums because somebody's always done that for them, right? Um, you know, these days you have to know how not just to um, make music, but often you have to learn how to record your music. You ha- So you have to be a recording engineer. You have to be uh, an art director because you're going to be picking the artists for your for your artwork and uh, for the the record, and then you have to be a media, you know, person. You have to know how to build a following and you know get yourself out there. And um, I don't know. It it on one hand, I feel that in this day and age, it's almost more fun to be an artist because you don't give control over to anybody. On the other hand, you got to do it all yourself, you know, so, um, so there are a lot of things that I don't like doing, like I don't like talking about, um, like selling myself, I'm a terrible salesperson for myself. Um, I wish that somebody else would do that part for me. Um, So I think your friend is, is right, like being able to speak and kind of especially for visual art, oh my gosh, so difficult to do. and, you know, the whole accounting, drumming up money, trying to figure out, you know, happily, I have had a booking agent for a long time because I, for me, like I take people at their word, especially financially. So I'm not a good negotiator. I'm not somebody who can say, I deserve more. I can think yeah. it, but for me to like really stand up like that, that's very hard for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you- so you mentioned you've just, well, you've written a book. Talk to me about, you said you've always written. So talk what, when, I assume, did you start out with some articles or or did you just say one day over the years, I, I feel like I, I have something to say. So talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah, something to say. Yeah, so uh, I, you know, I started playing drums and pretty soon I didn't write. Okay. I mean, I would, you know, I've always written, you know, I'm, you know, sitting in a bar or a restaurant and I have a piece of paper and a nap. I mean, I've always written like, you know, that, right? But I was, mm-hmm. um, I, music just swept me along. Um, and so uh, I think it was in... It was like maybe 12 years ago or so um, this thing happened. My mom got sick. She's fine, wonderful now, That's very good. healthy, but um, she got sick and I was in the hospital room with her and this writing just kind of fell out of me. It was very intense, you know, to be there with her while um, she was ill. And I, I wrote this album of, of, of song like lyrics for an album and I had this vision of this album and I was hearing like melodies and all this stuff kind of fell out of me and I was so I came back to the girls in Zepparella and I said hey can we record this album and so we did that right and then I thought well so Clementine was that the first time you had written songs no I had dabbled in songwriting um before and I had written um uh uh so did I have written? I can't remember if I'd written a solo. No, I hadn't. Yeah, that was the first time that I really seriously wrote songs for other people. I think in my 20s, I wrote some songs um, that I was singing with that band. But, you know, this is this was kind of more serious. Sure. So, um, so yeah, so we recorded that album. And then... Um, And then I just started writing again. Then it just kind of, it was like something opened up, you know, and words started coming out. And it first started as lyrics. And then I started writing. um, I thought, well, I'll start a blog and just kind of write, you know, just pieces about being a musician, being on the road. And, um, And that started in 
2016, I started writing a blog called Bliss and Drumming. And my idea about it was, you know, my spiritual practice, my meditation practice, I started to see more and more how um, my my drumming, my music career, and my meditation practice, the lessons were kind of the same in a lot of times. Like when I'm playing drums, I'm finding that wide open awareness that we find on the meditation mat. Um, when I'm having to interact with people, I'm watching all of my, you know, attachments and aversions, which are part of the thing that we look for when we're meditating, are the places that we stick, our identity stick. So I started to kind of really think about that connection and started writing about it in this blog. And then um, the pandemic happened and I thought, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll put, um, I'll put those pieces together and just make a book. And I kind of put them together and realized I had a lot more to do to make it a book. I couldn't just stick them in there. I had to kind of combine them in some, some real way. So that's how the book came about. And give me the title of the book again. It's called From Bonham to Buddha and Back, The Slow Enlightenment of the Hard Rock Drummer. <laughs> nice. Um, why'd you pick that title? Uh, well, uh, Bonham definitely represents, you know, my music career, uh, a big part of my music career. And, you know, as a drummer, um, I, I thought that was good to have him in the title. Uh, and there are chapters uh, where I, the first song of these different sections of the book um, are explorations of Zeppelin songs. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, from Bonham to Buddha, because Buddha represents, you know, the Buddhist, uh, I've been a Vipassana meditator for 30 years, which is a, a Theravada Buddhist practice. Um, and yeah, so it, I read something that said, you know, your book title has to say what it's about somehow in the thing. And I thought, okay, Bonham, Buddha, oh, two B's. Great. There you go. That works out. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Sometimes it's as simple as that. <laughs> when, um, so you've been meditating that long, uh, mm -hmm. what, why did you originally start meditating? What, what was the, uh, What's your origin story on that? Why did you decide that journey? Yeah, well, I, um, you know, like I said, I think I was always drawn to kind of spiritual or, you know, kind of sure. um, figuring out the bigger picture, right? And then, um, and I also had a really um, terrible negative voice. And um, I had that since I hit puberty, just this, negative you know i always struggled with my weight my whole life and um and this negative voice was so intense and when i look back i really almost see it as a kind of gift that i was given because it made me go into you know therapy and meditation and inward seeking to figure out what the heck is that why do i have to live with that thing right and um so it was a i started a seeking of like how do i feel happy how do i feel joy how do i feel like i'm worthy of walking on the planet you know worthy of being here worthy of being loved worthy of of being able to um to feel that I'm, I matter to myself at least, um, when this thing inside of me is always telling me that is always judging everything I do, you know. Um, and there are pieces in the book where I talk about that. Talk about looking at YouTube comments, you know. Talking about um, getting over that negative voice when I play a show and I know that I've messed up for some reason. Um, talking about how um, eventually that we can quiet that voice, but it, it can be uh, quite grueling to go through figuring that out. Yeah. Do, I think we all have that negative um, part of ourselves, you know, um, Harry Chapin has a song, Mr. Tanner, 
and it's it's a wonderful story song about you know this dry cleaner that ends up performing music and he said he did not know how well he sang he only heard the flaws mm-hmm. you know and and i think that's often um very early in my podcast life with this this bruce springsteen podcast you know um someone gave me like a one star review on itunes and said the host repeats himself a lot he should he should do a frequently asked questions and um so you know that's seven years ago and i remember this and i've gotten better but for the longest time i'm like okay i know i'm telling this story again um and you know as i explained to my audience Yes, you may have heard it, but my guest hasn't heard the story. And this is this is not an interview podcast. This is a conversational podcast. Um, and it is, um, I just had a guest and we talked about that we are, we are not as kind to ourselves as we, we, we would never judge someone else as harshly as we judge ourselves. For example, right? If, if, um, and I'll pick on my wife, right? Oh, no one could come over. The house is a mess. I said, really? And when you walk into someone's house, do you immediately go, wow, this is a mess? Well, no, I'd never do that. Okay, then why do you think our friends are going to do that? Right? <laughs> so um, it's, it's kind of freeing, right? When you realize yeah. that, like, wow. And I realized that when I was reading those YouTube comments, you know, we have this video that has you know, a lot of, um, a lot of views and there were like 20,000 comments or something. And I had never once looked at any of them. You know, Mm -hmm. we just put it up there and none of us were like, we don't want to hear what people have to say. We're just going to ignore it. Right. And then one day I thought, you know, what could they possibly say that's worse than what I've been listening to for all of this time? Nobody can say anything about my drumming or my writing, or my body, or my face, or mm-hmm. my brain, that worse than the stuff that I've been listening to pretty much nonstop, you know, for all of those years. So once I realized that too, it was so freeing. And then I realized that by not looking at those comments, what I had been doing was missing all of the amazingly kind things that people had been saying. And I realized, well, maybe I wasn't ready to see those either because I didn't believe myself worthy of that either, right? So um, so I'm happy to have that in my past, I think, for the most part. I'm not saying that it doesn't rise up, certainly, but uh, yeah, I feel like we can get through it. I, I think we can too, and I do think that is um, human nature and... Um you know, Bruce did a wonderful, um, he was one of the guests at South by Southwest in Austin, and it's worth looking up, but he talked about, you know, to be a musician, you have to be humble, and you have to have a huge ego. Mm -hmm. Like he talked about, you've got to be, you know, humble, you got to be cocky, you've got to be, you know, um, you've got to be a dictator, but you've also got to be a team member. And he talked about this, all this different things mm-hmm. that combine that because you're not one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he did say in his biography, says, what helps is if you have two parents, one of them will tell you you're, you're horrible and, and you're just not worth anything. And the other one is your God's gift. And that way you find that balance somehow. Yeah, um, I think that's really true. And actually, I'm glad you brought it back to Bruce because, yeah. you know, I've been listening to Bruce. Um, I mean, I loved Bruce uh, when I was, uh, you know, 14, 15 or something. And then sure. I, I, recently I've been like, why did I diverge? And I think a lot of it was because you know, his, um, I, I just, uh, I didn't, I stopped, um, I stopped resonating with, uh, his message, a lot of it, um, 
for whatever reason just i did that with the who too like i felt yeah. like the who I, like i i was obsessed with the who for a couple of years as a teenager and then i don't know i just like whatever but yeah um but um i was today what i did because i knew i was going to talk to you i went on and i thought you know i've never really listened to max weinberg's drumming you know like specifically right and so i saw the there's a website that says like the 10 best max songs in bruce springsteen so i just okay. i went through these 10 songs that i was listening to and of course i knew them all um and uh but i listened to them for the drumming first but then i've just fell into the lyrics and you know springsteen lyrics they're so the thing that really stands out to me is that here's a man who's writing songs even today he's writing songs from the point of view of people who are really struggling to get out of the way that they believe they've been told they should be right i mean there are people yeah. who um they don't see an out because they they've they've taken on this weight of their society and um and even after bruce was super famous and even after he was um you know, wasn't in that position anymore. Um, if he ever even had been, because he had his talent, right, to be able to dream bigger. Um, and he speaks about people who don't have that thing readily available to them that where they see the way out. I thought, God, what a compassionate human. What an empathet empathetic human, that that's what he's writing about the stories of people who are not singing these stories, but he's, um, even with all of his success and fame, he's still able to get into that mindset so well and really convey that. And I think that that's, um, you know, I think that's really the mark of kind of what he's talking about. Like on one hand, you have to really recognize, like, I deserve to be here. I'm here. Um, and this is what, where I, you know, this is where I'm meant to be, and yet also be have a heart open enough to look at the guy sitting there rocking out of his concert and be able to to fall into his life, fall into his mindset. Um, and that's that's such a great quality in a human. Both him and Little Stephen. And by the way, I'll get back to Max because I do want to hear your report mm -hmm. card from Max. Uh, is uh, him and Lil Steven talked about it. He said, you think about it, how many millions of people watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan? Yeah. And of them, a certain percentage went out and got a guitar. Mm -hmm. And then a certain percentage learned how to make a few chords. And then a few people of that actually started a garage band. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of them stuck around long enough. And then a fewer percentage actually made a band that lasted a couple of years and maybe they got a record contract a fewer percentage and maybe they got one album and he says and then when you think how rare that we've now been doing this for you know this is rare air that we're breathing that so this rare. is in yeah 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 um yeah um he jokes in his broadway play that's on netflix he said this is the first time he's ever had a job where he had to work six days a week doing this Broadway <laughs> show. And he makes the joke, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, the, I mean, I was uh, when I was listening to that uh, episode that you had about just talking about, you know, ticket prices and stuff yeah. like that. And they were talking about people you know, saying, oh, it's a two hour and 45 minute show, two hours and 45 minutes. Do you like that is so long for a musician to play. That is so I mean, the man like you were, I think the the topic of the podcast is what yeah. does the artist owe to the fans? And it's like, good grief, like Springsteen fans have gotten their share. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that is amazing. I, you know, I, I love you saying that Clementine, because um, you know, he is, he's, it's running about two hours and 45 minutes, almost consistently. And, um, I make the argument, I think I did that podcast 
that he takes no breaks. They end one song, they immediately start another. If he just took a minute between each song, it would be over three hours. <laughs> and he's giving it his all. Yeah, like he's, yeah. I mean, he's running around. He's giving people kisses in the audience. Yeah, he's too, yes. I mean, he's just like, yeah. man is just like this engine of energy, you know? And um, I don't, I, I mean, I just, I really yeah. respect the man so mm-hmm. much. And again, to be able to tell a story the way that he does, I mean, he's a master lyricist in such a profound way. Yeah, we um, during the pandemic, he would he did my sh- my home to yours radio broadcast on E Street Radio, and mm-hmm. he would pick songs and he would do themes like whether it's cars or summers or being on the beach or love or friendship. And he would weave the stories along with, and it wouldn't just be his music, it'd be other music he'd play. And um, I had a guest on and he said, we know he's a good storyteller. Why are we surprised that he's able to tell a story by doing a radio show? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He's also very open about his depression. Uh Uh, His autobiography, he goes into that pretty deep. Um, So yeah, I, I think, you know, he's... He's been a good companion on this part of the ride to quote one of his lyrics. And I, you know, I, you know, that's why I've been talking about him for seven years. Yeah, I understand yeah. it. And, you know, I saw that in passing, you know, um, a video about uh, his depression and, um, and I thought, well, that's how he, that's how he gets into those, those stories. Yeah. You know, that's how you can be that empathetic. There's know? a, there's a new book out about him riding nebraska and nebraska came right after the river Mm -hmm. and then the next album after nebraska was born in the usa Mm -hmm. and so the river was his first they had a hit they had you know and and this little steven says once you got on the radio that's when the girls started coming they started doing more shows and the book's premise is he knew that he might get big and he was a little afraid of it. So he wanted to go small first. So they talk about him writing all the songs in Nebraska and doing it. It's a great book. Mm. Um, So safe place. It's okay. If you say Max is just an average drummer, (laughs) Uh, it's okay. Safe place. But as someone who drums for a living, what are you thinking of Mighty Mighty Max? Oh, come on. He's a, he's a master, right? I mean, he, they were playing one song. I, I was looking up live versions. Um, it yeah. was really, really fun. I, I really do love Bruce Springsteen. So, yeah. um, uh, but they were playing, um, uh, what song was it? It was like from 1978 or something. And yeah. he was playing a song and it was so fast that like Springsteen couldn't even get the words all the way out. Like he was right. just like kind of picking out the, yeah. <laughs> I was cracking up, but I was like, it was so steady. I mean, it, he was just holding it together. It was obviously the song was too fast, but it wasn't rushing. It just started yeah. really, really fast, right? Yeah. Um, and I love, um, you know, he's kind of, uh, he plays drums the way I don't, which I've been told that people often are taught to imagine that you just have a rod going in from the top of your head all the way down so you don't. You know, so your limbs are moving, but your body isn't moving, right? Yeah. That's, that's, um, it's so much more efficient. Right. And, um, well, if you're going to do two hours and 45 minutes, Max needs every bit of energy. Right. Because he, because he's not, he's not phoning it in. Like he's, he's laying into it just as much as Springsteen is laying into it. And I understand why Bruce likes playing with Max is because, you know, I think, a. A, to have a, a drummer behind you who's really like you know egging you into this energy you know they both are speaking to each other with energetically um, yeah I, I, they've joked about you know max says i'm you know i'm staring at bruce's ass the whole show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out where he's going to go next and what to do right uh yeah and it is um and obviously if you're bruce springsteen you you're going to surround yourself with the best. That's right. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I thought Max's drumming is really, 
is really stellar. Yeah. Uh, I had another drummer on that said, um, and was also, I had a bassist on talking about, they both said that Gary, who's the bassist and Max, he said, they're just, they're just good. They're not showy. Yeah. They're not, yeah, they're just good. You know, that you just go. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and to you know, me, like the, the drummers that I love, uh, mm-hmm. really, really love are the ones who play for the song, right? Yes. They're not on top of the song. They're right. They're, they're there to, to make it happen, make the song happen. Yeah. Right. And um, yeah, Max is, is excellent at that. Um, but yeah. he does have his, his showy moments. Yeah, know? he does. Um, yeah. My, so my first show was in 2002 and um just for various circumstances never got to see Bruce live before then and so we went in 2012 for another show and it was my wife's second show and she got a little crush on Max (laughs) (laughs) and she will tell you right now she's like I can't believe how hard he works back there he works so hard yeah two hours and 45 minutes i mean the guy is like and he's wearing a suit (laughs) yes exactly i think that too that is hilarious i know (laughs) yeah yeah i know yeah so what's next for you what's next what's your next what's what's next to your chapter what do you think you're going to do next what am i going to do next well let's see i have a a a an album of songs that I've been um, trying to get together with uh, this wonderful guitarist, Daniele Guitardo. Um, and where I wrote the lyrics and I'm singing and um, played drums too. Um, but not while I'm singing. Uh, just for the recording, I have a drummer live who plays live okay. with me. Uh, that project is called Clem and Clear Light. So that's just kind of getting off the ground. And then Zep. Barella shows all around. Um, and then, um, you know, I've been working on really the book came out at the end of February. So I've been kind of getting the, the word out about that. Um, and recently I've been thinking about another uh, project that I am thinking of getting started on writing. So we'll see where that goes. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, if when the album comes out i would love to have you come back and promote it oh great oh i love that oh thank you yes and once again the book from bonham to buddha and back the slow enlightenment of the hard rock drummer um i it is available on amazon and i'm sure every other book seller please check it out and uh that would be awesome uh all right before i let you go i've got to ask you the mary question Mm -hmm. so i end every episode so if you are a clementine moss fan and you're listening to this um thank you for listening um jay armstrong was an honors english teacher in the philadelphia area he's retired but when he was teaching he would give his students the lyrics to thunder road they would break it down they'd look at the themes they'd look at the lyrics they talk about you know what bruce was trying to portray and then at the end of the two days he would ask his class does mary get in the car mm-hmm. so miss moss that is your question <laughs> does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road <laughs> well um i was thinking about this uh i was you know, that was my favorite song when I was first was introduced as most, as probably all of us, right? It was our favorite song. Um, and um, I think that Bruce goes on to be a big rock star and Mary stays home. Okay. Um, and the re I, yeah, that's what I think. I think she's, um, you know, she, she has all of those men at her feet, um, who she's discarded, uh, and she's been the, the one, um, to be caught. Uh, and I think she's still, 
I've known a lot of Marys and that what they want is stability and they're not going to get it with a rock and roller. <laughs> um, so about 60% of my guests say, yes, she gets in the car uh -huh. about 40% say she doesn't. Uh -huh. Um, and I think you're, that's a very valid answer is that, you know, uh, a lot of people say that she's afraid to make that decision. Um, you know, my wife always says, no, he said she was ugly. <laughs> no, she said you were in a beauty. Hey, you're all right. That's ugly. No, hell no. I'm not getting in that car. I like her take on it. I know. Yes. I'd like to know your percentages of how many women would yes. say it and how many men, right? So, yeah, I, um, I haven't broken down that in a while, though. Um, often fans will say, well, yes, it's Bruce. Of course I'm getting the car. Bruce Springsteen <laughs> asked you to get in the car. I'm saying yes. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's, that's, that's a great answer. Um, any final thoughts, anything you want to share before we get out of here? No, I'm just really happy to have been introduced to your podcast. I've been having a good time really listening to your interview. So thank you for what you do, Jesse. Oh, it's, it's important for, for people who, who, uh, to hold the torch for music and for musicians too. Yeah. Well, I thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Um, I don't know if you spend any time with Bruce's newest, his latest album is a covers album, which is a fun, you know, he did a bunch of soul covers. The album before that is Letter to You, which is a lot about his career and endings and bands. And I, I think you, I think you'd enjoy it. So please oh, check it out. I will. Thank you. For yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Um, so in honor of that little devil that's on our side telling us that maybe we can't do things. I'll quote, um, Bruce did a song called Hello Sunshine, and it says, had enough of heartbreak and pain. I had a little sweet spot for the rain, for the rain and skies of gray. Hello, sunshine, won't you stay? You know, I always like my walking shoes, but you can get a little tired, get a little too fond of the blues. You walk too far, you walk away. Hello, sunshine, won't you stay? Mm, so it is uh, all of us. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. I appreciate you so much for joining me. Listeners, uh, we want to hear what you think. Send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is at setlustingbruce. For now, be kind, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, 
fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Fed Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.